Again, good morning. You know, likely you're familiar with the story of Charles Steinmetz and Henry Ford. But Charles Steinmetz had one of the greatest minds in the field of electricity that the world had ever known at that time. And Steinmetz built the great generators for Henry Ford in his first plant in Dearborn, Michigan. And once everything was in place, uh, he assembly line worked like clockwork. And thanks to the electrical genius, cars began to roll off the production line and profits began to pour into Ford's pockets. Things ran along smoothly for several months. Suddenly, without warning, everything ground to a halt. Ford Motor Company went completely dark. One mechanic after another was unable to locate the problem, much to Ford's frustration. They were losing money. And finally, he contacted the brain behind the system. And so Steinmetz showed up, and immediately he went to work, and he fiddled around with some switches and a gauge or two. He tinkered with this motor and that one. He pushed a few buttons, and he messed with some wires. He then threw the master switch and lights blinked on and engines began to whirl and things were back to normal. A few days later, Henry Ford received a bill from Steinmetz for $10,000. And although Ford was a rich man, he couldn't believe it. Paying such an exorbitant amount of money was out of the question, especially for what appeared to be such a small amount of work. And so he returned the bill without paying it and, and with a note that said, Charlie, isn't this bill just a little high for a few hours of tinkering around with a few wires and switches? Steinmetz looked, and then he rewrote the bill, and he sent it back with a note. And it said, for tinkering around on the motors, $10. For knowing where to tinker, $9,990. Total $10,000. And Henry Ford paid the bill. God knows where to tinker, if you will. After all, he formed us and he fashioned us in the first place. The one who, who created this world knows how we can best function in it. And as we open our lives up to the all-wise God and allow him to direct our lives, we will grow in understanding how God thinks about living this life. And that's what the book of Proverbs is all about. We're talking about wising up to the laws God has set up for making life work. And so the book of Proverbs spells out in short sayings that are long in experience, and we would be wise to listen to it. Now, for you to get the most out of the study, I've urged you to grab a copy of the, of the listing of topics and, and the Proverbs that speak to that. You can find that on the back table on your way out. And I also would encourage you, again, uh, to read a chapter a day for 31 days at least once this summer. Now, works out great. July and August both have 31 days, and there are 31 chapters in Proverbs. There you go. Chapter a day would take you through Proverbs twice, beginning later on this week. All right, look with me at Proverbs chapter 2. Proverbs chapter 2, and I need to reach back to last week's uh, bottom line principle, for there's a direct connection to what we're going to see here in Proverbs chapter 2. The takeaway from last week was this. 
Wisdom is the only thing that protects us from troubles of our own making. Wisdom is the only thing that protects us from troubles of our own making. That was taken from the final verse in chapter 1, verse 33. Look with me if you're in your Bibles, and I hope you are, to chapter 1 for a moment, verse 33. It says this, and wisdom speaking here, but whoever listens to me will live in safety and be at ease without fear of harm. Wisdom is the only thing that protects us from troubles of our own making. And that thought is now elaborated on as we come to chapter 2, that benefit is expanded on. And so this, this morning, my approach to chapter 2 here, it's kind of worked backwards. Okay, we're going to start at the back, and we're going to come forward to the beginning. Because I want us to see, first of all, the benefits of wisdom, the benefits of wisdom. First benefit is it protects us from the pitfalls of life. Protects us from the pitfalls of life. Look at verse uh, uh, 12 of chapter 2. Proverbs 2, verse 12 says, Wisdom will save you, protect you from the ways of wicked men, from men whose words are perverse, who leave the straight paths to walk in dark ways. That's what wisdom will do for you. You see, if we walk in God's wisdom, you're not as likely to fall for those who twist truth to fit their own agenda. If you walk in God's wisdom, you'll be able to sniff out talk that doesn't match reality. We need more wisdom today. If you walk in God's wisdom, it will protect you from listening to that person who tries to convince you to take that one step over here to bend the rules. And then after you take that one step to bend the rules, that unethical step, then you take a second step, and then a third step, and then finally you find yourself further and further away from God, and you're living in in denial and and self-deception. Wisdom protects you from that kind of trouble. Solomon gives a second example of that protection. Look at verse 16. Verse 16, it, wisdom, will save you, protect you also from the adulteress, from the wayward wife with her seductive words. Now, we're going to be coming back to this topic here later in our study. It shows up in the early chapters of Proverbs, so I'm not going to dig into this right now. But suffice it to say, a benefit of God's wisdom entering your life is that it will protect you from the slippery slope of giving in to the seduction of sexual sin at the first sign of trouble. So wisdom's benefit is it protects us from the pitfalls, from the traps that if not avoided will result in troubles of our own making. Now, chapter 2 also gives the flip side to this benefit of protection The benefit of wisdom is more than just running away from sin and avoiding sin. The second benefit here is not only protects us, it prepares us to live well in this world. It prepares us to live well in this world. You see, it places us, wisdom places us on on a path of everything that's desirable and good. It establishes a track for your life that you want to stay on. Look at verse 5. It speaks of wisdom's benefit. Then... Then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom, and from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. Knowledge and understanding of what? Go down to verse 9. Then, here's the benefit, you'll understand what is right, what is just, what is fair. Every good path for wisdom will enter your heart. Knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Now, don't you want this wisdom to infiltrate all your life so that you're on the good path? 
Now, the good path that it mentions there uh, in verse um, 9, uh, it's a picture of a rut that's caused by a, a, a wagon wheel. That after a while, you kind of find yourself in that rut. So here's a metaphor for the track or course of a person's actions. You, you got to kind of know what, what the rut is. It's, as it's been said, choose your ruts carefully. You're going to be in it for a while. <laughs> Do you know what your ruts are that are good ones versus some bad ruts? Or whom or, or what are you patenting your life after? Now, why wouldn't we follow the one who created this world and knows how it's supposed to work? God knows everything about everything. He'll never make a miscalculation or plan a course of action on partial information. God's wisdom enables him to know how to do anything. Doesn't it make sense then to listen to what God says about how best to relate to one another, how best to relate to the world we live in, and how best to relate to God? I mean, don't you want this wisdom? This wisdom isn't about understanding all that God's doing, but understanding of how to live skillfully. J.I. Packer, he likens wisdom to being taught to drive. And, uh, and what he says, and he goes on to say, is what matters in driving is not that I know why the road is narrow or has these particular curves where it does or, or why the driver, driver in front of me is driving too close to the yellow line or creeping along slow, slowly. What matters in driving is the speed and the appropriateness of our reactions to situations and the soundness of judgment we, when we encounter some issue. When we're taught to drive, he goes on to say, we learn the how-tos of parking, turning, passing, reacting, stopping, maintaining the right speed, keeping our car under control, following the rules of the road. Well, in the same way, the benefit of wisdom is it enables us to see and do the right thing in an actual situation that presents itself. The benefit of wisdom is that it enables us to live skillfully in the actual situations of everyday life. So to drive well, we have to keep our eyes alert and notice exactly what is in front of us. To live wisely, we have to be clear-sighted and realistic in knowing. See, God's wisdom may not give us insight into all that God's doing and why He's doing it, but we can be sure of is this, that the one who created this complex world and has redeemed us from sin uh, he knows what he's doing. He does all things well, even when we don't understand it. Wisdom calls us to leave all that to God, trust him, rejoice in him, and live for him skillfully in light of his word through the ups and downs of life. You see, wisdom prepares us to live well in this world. Wisdom protects us from the pitfalls of life. And don't you want that? Well, maybe the better question is how badly do you want that? For the benefits come with some conditions. Not too long ago, I was updating an app on my computer when this message appeared. The terms and conditions have changed. Do you agree to the new terms and conditions? Then there are like 35 pages of conditions. <laughs> and of course, I carefully read each and every word of the terms and conditions. Yeah, right. Who has time for that? I just clicked the box marked, I agree. Then another message appeared that said something like, thank you for accepting the new terms of service. I hadn't read a thing. Now, perhaps there's some of you here who would read every single 
thing of the terms and conditions before agreeing to it. But most of you will not. I read of an experiment sponsored by security firm F-Secure of an open Wi-Fi network that was set up in this busy public area. And when people connected, they were presented, of course, with lengthy terms and conditions. But just to prove how little attention we pay when checking that agreement box, F-Secure included a Herod Clause in the terms and conditions. Now, the Herod Clause was one statement that offered up free Wi-Fi only if the recipient, the user, agreed to assign their firstborn child to them for the duration of eternity. <laughs> there might be times you might be willing to do that, but most would not. Now, in other words, free Wi-Fi was provided in exchange for the company's permanent ownership of the user's firstborn child. And, and, and everyone uh, clicked agree. <laughs> now, a company would probably have trouble getting you to hand over your pride and joy, even if you were technically contractually obligated. So, you know, don't panic. But it proved a point. Most people don't read what they're agreeing to. Now, I want to spend the remainder of our time here this morning looking at the terms and conditions for attaining wisdom and benefits. Because these terms and conditions are found in the first four verses of Proverbs 2. Structurally, chapter 2 is laid out with if-then statements. If, 1 through 4, then 5 through 22. If you do these things, the terms and conditions, then you'll enjoy these benefits. See, some want to just skip all the conditions. I just want to get the benefits. I just want to click agree here. Give me the benefits of wisdom. It doesn't work that way. There are conditions. There are conditions. Well, we need to come to terms with these conditions. There's three of them. I'll spend most time on the first one, less time on the last two. But condition number one for receiving these benefits is deep desire for the things of God. In these verses, there is no checklist or set of rules simply to be followed for you to gain the benefits of wisdom. Don't think of it, of it that way. It's all about desire. Proverbs chapter 2, verse 1. says, my son, if, if you do these, this, this, then you'll receive God's wisdom. My son, if you accept my words that the Father is giving to the Son, and you store up my commands within you, the ones you receive from God, he's to give to him. So who is it then that's going to accept those words given by the spiritual leader of the home? Who is it that will store up and take to heart the commands that God has passed on through the Father to the Son? Well, only those who hunger after the things of God. If you're not hungry or desire the things of God, you're just going to block your ears. You're going to just nod and go, okay, I guess so, Dad. But you're not going to really take it to heart. The only ones who take it to heart are those who pursue the things of God and His desires. And where do we find the, the things of God? Where do we discover what it is that God desires? Now, this isn't very profound here, but a consistent, regular self-feeding of the Word of God that engages every part of our being until God's words are pleasant to our soul. Church, we cannot expect to have the wisdom that prepares us to live well in this world and protects us from the pitfalls of life apart from the book. We can't. There are no shortcuts to gaining the wisdom of God. The book of Proverbs, in particular here, works when we make a point to kind of slow down, listen, think, and take in what God has to say in His Word. And all too often in this world we live in today, we're content just kind of skim the surface. In an article, is Google making us stupid? 
<laughs> I, I, I love that title, is Google making us stupid. The writer has this to say. As it was pointed out in the 60s by one media theorist, media are not just passive channels of information. They supply the stuff of thought. Now get this. What the internet seems to be doing is chipping concentration and contemplation. The internet seems to be doing is chipping away our capacity for concentration and contemplation. I totally agree. The writer goes on. My mind now explains the way the internet distributes it and a swiftly moving stream of particles. He says, once I was a scuba diver in the sea of words, now I zip along the surface like a guy on a jet ski. And we're indeed a product of web-based thinking, right in this room, myself included. I hit this side for a few seconds, and then I jump over to another side over here that might have some connection to the one I just looked at. And I'll spend a little time over there, maybe a minute, and then I'll bounce over to this side, and I'll bounce over to that side, all in a matter of just a few minutes. And church, that's often our approach to Scripture. So like a guy on a jet ski... I zip along the pages of Scripture kind of the same way. I'm going to nibble a little here, and then I'm going to nibble a little there, but I'm never probing the depths of the living waters inside. It's no wonder, then, that we aren't wising up in the Christian community. We can't do it by just skimming. Can't. As one preacher put it, people say the church today is growing and expanding. Yes, it's 10 miles wide now and about a quarter inch deep. I don't want that for us here at EBC. I don't want us to simply splash around in some truth for a little bit and jump out of that pool and go on to something new. I long for us to, long for us to plunge deeper and deeper into God's well. It's been said that every man and woman used by God has gone down into this vast reservoir. I describe you, accept my word, Solomon writes, stored it up within you. Follow along, I read verse 2, turning your ear to wisdom and applying your heart to understanding. And what this is saying here about turning your ear to, listen, to, to, to wisdom is the idea of turning your face from where you're concentrating over to that person that's speaking to you. And now you're looking eyeball to eyeball to that person. You're turning your ear, you're blocking everything else out in order to hear what this is saying. That's what it's saying, turning your ear to wisdom. Your undivided attention to God's wisdom. Are you turning your ear to God's wisdom? Has it been a while? How, are, are you applying your heart to gain his understanding of the situation rather than leaning on your own? I guarantee you, you'll be glad that you did. All right, how's your desire for the things of God? I need to get to condition number two. Condition number two is that you must sense a great need for wisdom. If you're going to gain wisdom, get the benefits of wisdom, you have to sense a need for it. Verse 3, it says, if you call out for insight, cry aloud for understanding. And I ask, at what point does someone call out or cry out for something? When do they do that? When they're in a place of desperation. It's the cry of the heart that says, Lord, I need you. Oh, I need you. Every hour I need you. When's the last time that you felt so over your head that it drove you to your knees and the pouring over the pages of Scripture? You sense that need. Stories told, likely I've said it before, of a, of a proud young man who went to Socrates asking for wisdom. He walked up to the great philosopher and he said, Oh, great and wise Socrates, I come to you for wisdom. 
And Socrates then led the young man through the streets and went to the sea and, and a chest deep into water. And then he asked him, uh, what, is, what is it you want? Wisdom, O wise Socrates, said the young man with a smile. And, and Socrates then put his strong hands on the man's shoulders and pushed him under the water. Thirty seconds later, Socrates led him, up, led him up, and he said, what is it you want? He asked again, and with wisdom, the young man sputtered, oh, great and wise Socrates. Socrates then took him, and he crunched him under the water again. Thirty seconds passed, 35 seconds, 40 seconds, and Socrates led him up, and the man was gasping. And he asked him again, what is it you want? And between heavy, heaving breaths, the fellow wheezed, wisdom, wise, and wonderful. And before the young man could even finish his words, Socrates jams him under the water again. Forty seconds pass, fifty, lets him up. What is it you want? Air, <laughs> the young man screeched. I need air. And Socrates says, ah. When you want wisdom as you've just wanted air, then you will find it. How desperate are we for it? It's for our taking. Just how badly do we want wisdom? How great is our sense of need for it? Leads us to a third condition, goes right along with this, is we want what God offers more than anything else. That's a condition. We want what God offers more than anything. Look at verse 4. If you look for wisdom as for silver and you search for it as for hidden treasure, then, verse 5, you'll understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. You see, we will not automatically gain wisdom. Wisdom's not our default setting. We cannot find wisdom just kind of be guy coasting along. So if you want wisdom, if we want God more than we want anything, we will find it. Now, what if I told you that somewhere in this room there's a stack of 10 $100 bills, and whoever finds it first can have it. I haven't done it. It's hypothetical, okay? There's no money stashed in this room that I know of. I know. Would have been much more effective illustration if I delivered on that one. But if I put that out there to you, there's some in this room who would turn the room upside down looking for it. Why is it then, when we're told uh, uh, there's God's wisdom to be found... We start, to start making all kinds of excuses why we're going to look for it another time. Nah, I don't need it. I'm all set. Maybe, maybe tomorrow. Are you searching for what God says is how, the, how to best live this life? Are we searching for it? Do you want to live well in the days you have here on this earth? Here's the bottom line. Here's the takeaway. If you missed everything else, grab this. Living well in this world is not just about what to run away from. But true wisdom says run even harder after God. Living well in this world is not just about what to run away from. These are the things we are to avoid. But true wisdom says run even harder after God. Am I running harder after God? Are you running hard after God? More than anything else in this world. More than soccer. You're running hard after God. Now here's the challenge. To what degree are you, am I, convinced that what God says is really best? <laughs> to what degree? Scale of one to ten. When God says pursue this and avoid that, do I really believe that accepting that will be pleasant to my soul? Can I trust God 
in what he says. Back until just a few years ago, I owned a, a windsurfer, and I enjoyed windsurfing whenever I get the chance. I started in my 20s and did it for many, many years. And back probably 25 years ago now or more, I remember this one time when I was windsurfing along the coast of Portland, Maine with this friend of mine. And he was at a higher level of windsurfing than me and had different equipment, better equipment, and he could go places further from the beach than I could. And so he gave me this one instruction. It was, it was good counsel. He said, Brian, you see that buoy right over there? Don't go past that buoy or else you're going to find yourself further than you're going to be able to handle. Well, that seemed reasonable enough. So off he went on his windsurfer away from the shore. I stayed closer to the shore, to that buoy. I'd come back. I was having the time of my life going to the buoy, coming back. Several people along the beach were watching. They were my admirers. <laughs> well, things were going well. They really were until I caught this nice gust of wind as I got close to that buoy and, 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 and it took off right by the marker and I had to make this choice. I mean, I'm cruising. This is fun. You see, I can, I can now turn around because I'm at this marker and kind of tack and, and go the other way or, and lose my momentum or just kind of keep going beyond the buoy. <laughs> Pretty smart guy. I went right past the buoy. <laughs> I followed my heart. I did what my eyes could see. And I kept going beyond that buoy. And, and it was fun. Let me tell you, I was having a blast. Until, until, I looked back and I realized the great distance between me and the shore that I had created in my moment of fun. So I, I, I tried to turn my sail and tack and, and come back and and attempted again and again and, and returned to shore, and it wasn't happening. I was drifting further and further out to sea. And not only was fear overcoming me at that moment, but more importantly, so was an embarrassment. And so my friend, he saw the problem I was in, and he came over and, and rescued me, and, and, and he said, what happened? And I sheepishly admitted I had gone beyond the boundary marker. It was very humbling. Especially as I was forced to take my sail, put it on the board, and paddle back to the shore in the face of my many admirers. <laughs> and I thought, just this past week, how often does God say that to us? See that marker right there? Don't go beyond it. The problem is, as we try to get to the close, as close as we can to the boundary line without crossing over. The problem is, we don't really believe that it's for our own good to stay within the boundaries that God has set up. And off we go. Wisdom is about staying within God's boundaries for life. Let's not see how far we can sneak away from God and not suffer the consequences. Let's live well by not simply knowing what to run away from, but to run hard, even harder, after God. His word is the most reliable and rewarding. Let's pray. God, we thank you.
for the reminders we have in your word, the warnings that are given to us. The problem isn't in what you've communicated. And you didn't communicate all this just to hear yourself talk. You communicated this in your word because it's what's best for us. So God, forgive us for the times we've blown off your word, your warnings, your instructions, your counsel to do our own thing in that moment of fun. God, I pray instead that our posture, our position would be, as we just, we're going to sing right now, Lord, I need you. Oh, I need you. Every hour, I need you. May that be our desire, our prayer today and throughout this week, I pray in Jesus' name.